Iowa everywhere. We recommend listening to the CW Pod with a glass of Steeple Ridge bourbon. Mm. Grown, distilled, well-rested, and bottled in Erling, Iowa. Now, from the Channel Seed Studios, this is the CW Pod, fueled by Steeple Ridge. And hello, welcome to CW Pod here on Iowa Everywhere. My name is Chris Williams. We are presented, as always, by our friends at Steeple Ridge Bourbon. Mm. Andrew Downs is with me. Have you ever had a Steeple Ridge Bourbon, my friend? I've not. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to take this bottle home? Yeah, absolutely. You can take that bottle home. Oh, thank you. Enjoy. I will. It's freaking amazing. I'll let you know how it is. Uh, You're going to love it. I promise. That's you're not like a huge bourbon drinker, right? I'm not. Um, I've always liked rye a little bit better, uh, but I do like bourbon. But rye, uh, for whatever reason, rye bourbon's harder for me. And like I know that's it, it tells me I have a terrible palate. It's kind of a, that's kind because, of backwards. Yeah, exactly. Because bourbon is supposed to be what like a little sweeter than rye. Rye is supposed to be a little spicier, maybe. So that right there, the white label would be the easiest to drink. Okay. The yeah. black label is heavier, uh, but th- that's my favorite. Is the black? You, you take that home. I will. And you des- you probably need it after <laughs> after the last couple of weeks. You've I been, do. You've had a lot going on, my friend. There's been a lot going on. It's been kind of wild. You yeah. look all nice and relaxed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I slept in today. Well, wow. Yeah, right. It look was, at this it was guy. Kind of wild. It's weird to wake up without work anxiety. I understand that completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. I so what's funny is I still had a job when I left KXNO. You did. But like it, that first day where it's like, oh, I don't have to worry about being in there at three yeah. or putting that show rundown together. That's And th- honestly, that's been like the biggest thing is because for 15 years, I've like lived my life as show prep. Mm-hmm. And so every time I'm on social media, every TV show I'm watching, every conversation I'm having there's a part of my brain that's like, okay, how can I repurpose this? Oh, unnecessary censorship. Absolutely, right? Yeah. And like the number of like screenshots I take on my phone of like, oh, I got to listen to this later and see if that's something, you know, good for the show or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's going to be a really hard habit to break. You will. Oh, eventually. yeah. Eventually. Oh, yeah. Or you're going to be like me and after two weeks, you're going to be like, <laughs> oh, I need to start a new company. I need to get my opinion out there. <laughs> well, uh, for those who don't know, I'm, ass- I'm assuming most people listening or, or watching no andrew longtime uh, program director at kxno uh, and the producer of the murph and andy show and, and he it was his last day last week you and i go way back yeah i, I, I did you hear me and ross I did. last week yeah, yeah. Th- I, that was so nice of you guys first of all thank you my, my dad just loved that like my brothers it was that was really really cool so i appreciate that well your dad yeah, i appreciate you the last couple of weeks really out there well, my behalf. So I just like I find it I cause I saw this way before I worked for you at KXNO that like my first time I met you would have been two thousand and nine. Yeah. Yep. It was like the Thanksgiving break, two thousand nine. Miller and Dace went on vacation. Yeah. And they brought me in to do their show for two days. And you're just by yourself. <laughs> I didn't really have I mean, I had done a lot of radio, yeah, but you not had been hosting. Yeah, guest and all that, right. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you're the, re- like, you put me on the air. You're the first one to put me on the air. Because Miller and Dace didn't talk to me. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, right? Every once in yeah. a blue moon, one of them would ask me a, a small question. But it was really more to, like, make their point. Yeah. It was like, see, that's even what he thinks. Yeah. Um, I you was were, not a part of that show at all. They kind of, I remember you were kind of like the punk rocker in the corner. Yeah, right. Exactly. This is vibe I, was, I, I was young. I was, you yeah. know, like I was, I was hungry and um, yeah. So I, I had done, and really I was doing Dace's show on WHO. He had that afternoon political show. Mm-hmm. And then they put those two together in the morning because they had to revamp the entire lineup after the, the F-bomb gate between Marty Terrell and, <sighs> and Larry Kotler. And I was sitting with Ross. Ross was uh, producing the Jan Michelson show on WHO. I was sit- just sitting there with him. He would let me just come hang out. Yep. I would just hang out at that building all day. And John Miller came in, and he was kind of complaining about the guy that they had been given as a producer. And as soon as he walked out, I was like, oh, I need to 
I need to, because I had listened to KXNO for years already. Yeah. I was like, oh, I need to do that. I need to go talk to somebody. So I went and talked to Van, and like the next Monday I was producing their show. And it was like several weeks before. I didn't do anything to the show. I didn't change the music. I did nothing because nobody had told me that I was like their their long-term producer. I thought I was just filling in. So I didn't want to like do anything or overstep my bounds. And then after about three weeks, I just kind of started, you know, I completely changed the sound of the show, like musically. Um, did they tell you to do that or did you just no, do it? No, I just started own? doing it. I was just like, yeah. And then they they liked it and they're, oh yeah, okay, do more of that. But yeah, they never talked to me on the air. And then it was, yeah, that Thanksgiving, you came in. We had known each other barely. yeah. And I've never, I mean, I've never forget. We go on the air at 6 a.m. And like the first thing you do is like, ask me a question. You and were like, like, what? Oh, okay. I guess I'll put my headphones on and turn on the microphone and we're, we're doing a show. You know, what's wild is I, it's, it's weird how certain moments you remember like it's yesterday. I remember that show. Yeah. I remember I, this is crazy. It's how my memory works. I remember the game that Iowa state played the night before. Oh, really? They played North Dakota. Greg McDermott was the coach. Iowa State won by like 20, but all the fans were pissed anyways. <laughs> For real, I, I remember it like that. That's wild. You tell me an Iowa State like football game in the last 20 years, and I'll tell you what I did that night. It, it's it's wild, but I, I remember that show, and we had fun. Like we, yeah. we kind of just figured it out. So then you do that. When do you... When do you get your actual like break there? Like from being a part-time guy? Cause you, you started at the bottom. Oh yeah. Yeah. I started, I mean the first three or four months I worked there, I didn't have a shift even like even a, a regular weekly thing. Um, Ross would let me come in and like dub commercials for him so that I could like make a couple bucks, but I'd quit my other job. I was living with my parents. I was like, I'm going to go all in on this thing. This radio deal. And so I did Miller and Dace for a little more than a year uh, from 2009, like spring of 2009 to summer of 2010. Then they moved me to the afternoon. So I was doing Murph and Andy and Matt and Miller with Matt Peralt and Ken Miller. And I did that for probably a year. And then they, uh, Simon Conway had come over to do yes. WHO and they needed a producer for him. And he, he wasn't happy with who they had given him. So I was doing Murph and Andy and then I'd run down the hall and do Simon Conway from four to seven. And I was still all part, like this was all part time. I had, I remember <laughs> I had to uh, lie on my time card. So I didn't go over yeah. 29 and a half hours a week. And that was just on airtime. You know, that, that didn't count the fact that I came in at like noon to prep both shows. Um, and so I started working part time over at channel 13 running camera I had forgotten that. Yeah. So for like, I think it was 2012, that whole year, I worked the morning show camera on WHO TV. And then I would come in at noon on the radio. I'd punch in at like two when we Man. went on the air and I'd do both of those shows. And it was because I got offered a full-time job at TV that I then took that to radio and said, hey, I, I have to take a full-time job. You either can give me one or I'm going to take this job over here. And that's when they made me full-time. I think it was December of 2012. So I'd been there about four or five years. Well, cause this is the point that I've, I've tried to make because I think most of the audience, you're just the Murph and Andy yeah, producer. Right. Absolutely. But your, your life revolved around that place. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. And I mean, because as soon as I was made, uh, so when I was made full-time, I was assistant program director and Van Harden was still the program, which director. was like a created yeah, title. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It didn't, that exist didn't exist before. That. before. No, yeah. No. Um, but Van was the program director of WHO, which is just a huge job. He was also on the air for five hours every morning with the biggest morning show this, this state has ever seen. So he essentially just handed me KXNO and I didn't deal with any of like the upper level stuff, but as far as like, you know, setting game logs and things like that, you know, all of this stuff that people who listen to the radio don't ever even think about. They have no clue it's even happening. Um, I started doing that like 12 years ago. And I've basically just been doing that since. And there was, yeah, one other program director in the interim, Mike Killebrew. And then I got the job in 2015, um, not long after you joined us, I think. Or yeah, maybe, maybe it was 2016. Well, Killebrew yeah, hired me. Yeah, it was 2016. Me. Yeah, exactly. He was the guy. Yes. But, it, but really, but that it was, was like, yeah. It was kind of you, though. That was us putting that together. Yeah, because Killebrew didn't have any idea who I was. No. No. That that was so. Let's go back to so Ken. Yeah, we had just hired Heather. 
Heather gets hired. Heather, we brought Heather over from another radio group to like do our afternoon show because Jimmy B had come and gone with Ken. And so it was like, yeah, Ken Miller and Heather Burnside. We're, we're launching a new era of which Ken, drive time sports talk. Ken in the, in the past kind of has a reputation as yeah. like this old school misogynist. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. So then I'll never forget listening when Ken introduces Heather. Yes. It was just like, and I, I, I had a pretty good idea, but like it, it was kind of like shocking. Yeah. That Ken was going to. Not that Ken was going to work with her, but it, it seemed like a really odd pairing if you knew anything about Ken. It did. And it, I think they did one show together. <laughs> and then he bolts. And then he left. Yeah. So like I came in to work that day and I see Ken. I was like, hey, how's it going? He goes, and he, and he told me what he's about to go do. And he's like, hey, I'm about to go tell management that I'm leaving. I'm going to go work with Marty and we're going to go to a different station. And then it was just like, okay. It was like triage, right? Like what the hell are we going to do? For, so for like three months... I was doing that show with Heather. Like I was producing, and then we would bring in random. Biff Hammer did a couple shows. With I think her. I we did a couple. In, I'm sure you did. <laughs> we would bring in random people, and then we kind of started. And because Ross and Travis were still doing the morning show together, and so then we kind of figured out, okay, Heather, we could put her back in the morning. That's where people knew her. That's where she yeah. would, would thrive. Travis would be a good partner with her because they would kind of play off each other that way, and then if we could talk you into coming over and, and doing it with Ross, as, and I think, I which, think we can make this work. Which was a weird deal for me. Cause like I had always wanted to be on cakes and yeah. but at that time in my life, we were, my wife was nine months pregnant <laughs> right? and I had just made a huge decision because I almost left Cyclone fanatic to go with the Des Moines register. Oh, I didn't even know that. Like here, here's, this is crazy part of this. So, I had this huge decision to make because they wanted me to come and be the sports editor there. And I said no, and I called them. I, I had like a come to Jesus, and I, it was on New Year's Day where I made my mind up that I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm just building Cyclone Fanatic. This is my passion. Well, you know, that was it. I made up my mind. And then all this stuff, then you Two guys come later, knocking on the door. Yeah, right. And I, but it was just one of those where, I couldn't say no because I wanted to do it my whole life. Yeah. Which I, I kind of comes to, you know, full circle where I'm sure you were feeling this last week where none of us ever did the KXNO thing because we were like getting rich. No, no. It was, was such a communal feel. Yeah, absolutely. It was a labor of love, right? And I yeah. mean, like the between all of us. But then also with the audience. Yes. And I mean, whether or not, you know, corporate people cared or, or anything like that, um, there was that community within within the KXNO kind of family. And that was awesome. Man, we had a hell of a run there when, you know, for the first, really up until the pandemic, yeah. I would say, until we got fired. Right. Really. Which was that, just before the pandemic. That kind of just changed. No, nah, we were just rolling up until that the point. The numbers were great. Yeah. Revenue was yep. great. The one thing we, I, I, the one thing I always pushed for was getting onto an FM signal. Yeah, because that was like, okay, AM is dying. We need to get to FM. Um, so maybe that wouldn't have happened had we not gotten let go. But you're right; everything was just kind of rolling, and I had never, it had never even crossed my mind that I would ever leave. I know. Well, I was kind of like that too, to be honest, because like it was, it was hard for me to say yes, but it was strictly a time. Yes. Because I, I, I really um, relate to you. Because I know that with Cyclone Fanatic, like the amount of like shit that I do yeah. on a daily basis. Like if I died, <laughs> exactly, like, nobody would even know. Right. Because I don't, I don't tell. No, that's the thing. People. Exactly. One of the things <laughs> I'm, I'm not great at delegating. And so really? if I could figure out how to do it myself, I would just do it. So like for, for, for people to know, I, I kind of talked about this last week where like you'd be in there and if, if a couple of like part timers don't show up, which yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I got to get in and do the wild board. Yeah, even like this year, like you guys were saying, I've, I've worked multiple wild games on Friday and Saturday evenings in the last three weeks. It's just interesting because I, I think when people who are in the public eye make a move, yes. people automatically go, well, they, they hate their coworkers. Right. Or, right. But I, I, they try to find a reason because it doesn't make sense. Because in, in their mind, they see the fun part of our job. And, 
It is so fun. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would if if I could afford to do Murph and Andy for free every day, I would do that every day. Yeah, for the rest it, of your life. It's it's that fun. It was that like important to me. Um, but you're right. They they don't see then all of the other parts of it that it it is like a job, and like a lot of jobs right now, corporatization of it is has made it worse and made it harder. And and in our field, it's probably accentuated because media is just in a hard spot yes. across the, if you're not in that like upper 2%, right. It's really hard. It is. It and, is. And it, it really is a labor of love. And even with that, at some point, like a guy can just, or a gal can just frankly wear down and just yeah. where the, the bad finally outweighs the good. Exactly. And that's kind of where it got to for me, where it's like, you know, cause like you said, I was never doing this to get rich. I was never doing it for the the accolades or, you know, for somebody to grab me in public. And, hey, I love your show. Like, that stuff was always so much you fun. You didn't. I knew you cool. from day one. You were yeah. a behind-the-scenes guy. Yeah, I mean... You, you weren't out there saying... No, nah, like, and Ross, Ross brought it up last week on the show. Um, he and I literally sat down and had that conversation where he was leaning more and more towards the on-air part. And even when he was producing The Morning Rush, the, or it wasn't The Morning, it was Travis and Tim, TNT in the morning, oh, yeah. he was becoming a bigger and bigger part of that show. He was filling in more on other shows and over on WHO. And he and I sat down and I said, you know, what do you want to do? And he's, you know, I, I, I like this on-air thing. And I said, you know, I, that's not really the direction I want to go. I like the programming lane. I like getting my hands dirty behind the scenes and, and setting people up to be good. And so we kind of shook hands and said, all right, let's do this. You go this way. I'll go this way. We'll, we'll, you know, flank them from both sides and, and win this thing. And man, we did so much cool stuff. Um, Ross is like a brother to me. I mean, you could hear it last week oh, yeah. talking about me. Um, he's, he's the reason I got, I mean, I met him the first day I ever walked in there. And it's because of who he is that he was like, oh, yeah, start coming back. You're going to love doing this. Bringing back so many memories. Real quick, what do you remember about the Terrell F-bomb day? <laughs> so I, I wasn't on, on KXNO at all. You weren't there no. yet. Okay. I was, so I was in Clear Channel at the time, iHeart. Uh, I was working on WHO. And so, but I wasn't connected at all to, to KXNO. And so I witnessed that like everybody else did and just kind of watched how it, how it happened. Um, and then again, yeah, it was several weeks later. Like I, I didn't even know what shows they were launching in the aftermath. Cause that's when Murph and Andy came over. That's when they moved Miller and Dace in the morning. Cause John had been doing like the two to four slot up until that point. Yeah. Um, and it was Ken and Marty and Miller in the afternoon so I remember I was I worked the overnight shift on WHO a Sunday night into Monday. And I remember stay because I got off at 459 because that's when Van and Bonnie started and their producer would come sit down. And I drove out to my parents' house in Altoona and I turned on the radio so I could hear who KXNO was putting on the air mm. that morning. Mm. I didn't even know. And, and that's it's like, when- oh, it's Miller and Dace. And it's like, oh, cool. And Murph and Andy. And oh, sweet. And Peralt shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, I wasn't involved at all. It was because of that that, I mean, they basically just needed warm bodies. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. Boy, that please. station's had uh, <laughs> a lot of iterations. Yes, it has. And it's and it stayed successful the whole way. Uh, I want to get into when we get laid off. Yeah. So that was January of 2019? 20, was, 2020. Yeah, it was January 14th, It was pre-pandemic. It was just, just pre-pandemic. Okay. Yep. I thought it was 19 uh, off the top of my head, but you're right. Nah, so, I, yeah. I, I don't know about you. We were in different spots, so I had another job, right? right. Like, I had a right. salary to fall back on. Yeah. And frankly, there was part of me that was like, man, like, I don't have to go in at yeah. three every day, and, like, I can pick up my kids. And, like, there was this part of me that was kind of relieved in a way, but I... Like I remember wherever we were at that bar. Yeah, the front row. And I and I, I was in a different spot. All of you guys just lost your livelihood. Yeah, right. But I remember I was so upset because it was just like, man, like we're rolling. This is the best that this station's ever been. And we all love each other. Yeah. Like we had this great camaraderie. We did. And then all these fans are calling in and buying us shots and you know That was incredible. That was amazing. Yeah, so uh so I was, I dropped my son off at school 
and I was walking out to my car and Travis called me. It was just after eight. And Travis, he and I talked quite a bit, but he wouldn't call me right after the show unless there was something going on. And so I pick it up and he goes, why did you fire Sean? And Sean Roberts was their producer. And I said, well, I said, what are you talking about? And he said, Sean just called me, just got fired as soon as the show ended. And I said, I don't know what's going on. And as, as I'm talking to Travis, Heather calls me. So I was like, all right, hold on. I'll call you back. I pick it up for Heather. And she goes, I just got fired. I got a and call I, from Ross right at the yeah. same time. And he goes, I think we're getting fired. Yeah, because so, yeah. So then I call Travis back and he had yeah. just gotten fired. So I called, I'm driving in, I'm on 235 and I called my wife and I said, Hey, I think I'm gonna be coming home here pretty soon. Uh, because I'm either about to get fired because they're going to fire everybody or I have to go in there and quit because they just fired my morning show without any warning. And I'm obviously not program director anymore. And then I called Ross and he called you. I called Andy. Murph was in Mexico. Murph was in Mexico. Yeah. Um, and so I, I went in and I went and found our boss, Joel McRae. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, what's going on? And he goes, Oh, we'll talk later. And I said, no, no, we, let's talk now. And he goes, okay. And he brought me down to a conference room. And let me go. I, <laughs> so all this is happening and I'm in contact with you guys and I just texted Joel <laughs> who I have a really good relationship yeah, to this day yes. with like it. Yep. Same. I, I text Joel and I said, uh, are you laying me off today? Cause if you are, can we just get it out of the yeah, way right. now? I gotta just make your job easier. And he called me like two minutes later and door wart was on the speakerphone, yep. and, and that was it. Yep. And then, so we, we all decide we're going to go get drunk. Yeah. We're like, Hey, let's go to the bar. And your brother was, he was bartending. Yeah. He was yep. pouring us a few extra ounces <laughs> yeah, in every beer. Yeah. It felt like, but you're right. Then, I mean, it was wild. Cause so we put up a picture on social media of the six of us, or yeah. five of us. Cause Travis wasn't there. Yeah. And I think I just put something like we're still family. And I mean, the outpouring that we had already oh. been receiving on social media and things was, was incredible. And Yes, the phone starts ringing. People start giving Brian their credit card numbers. Hey, buy them all beer for me. Buy them all shot for me. People started coming in. Um, that was that was amazing. That was really like wow. We we had something really really cool here. But there was no thought that no it wasn't over. I mean, the, it it never occurred that to any of happen. us. No, it doesn't happen. And we weren't the only six people to get fired that day. Like fifteen hundred people got laid off from iHeartMedia that day. Correct. And we're the only six that got our jobs back. Yeah. Like it wasn't an option. And so it was wild how quickly I came to terms with the fact that my radio career was over. Cause I wasn't going to go work for another radio station. Like I, I did this because I loved it and I loved the people. And that was why I was figure so something sad. else out. Like I was like, Oh shit. Now yeah. I got to figure out how to make more money. <laughs> right. right. Cause yeah. I had lost half of my yeah. salary. Um, but, but it was more just like, I'm not going to get to, talk to AD every day. I'm yeah, not gonna, right. Like, Ross and I had a really good show. I thought like we had, you could just hear it even last week. Definitely. Like, you put us together yes. and it's like, we can talk about anything. Yes. But it took us about two or three years to really. It did. Hit that yeah, flow. Yeah. And, and part I, of it was like, they wanted you guys to do things that you weren't going to do. They you, wanted you us know. to be like, pardon the interruption yeah, with exactly. Iowa and Iowa State. Which just doesn't work in, in this market. No, but you guys found that. And once you did, you're right. It clicked and it was like, oh, this is, this is great. Yeah. And like, I, like me selfishly, it was like, man, like I thought like Ross and I were just, we had had like five board ops, but you know, <laughs> yeah, like right. it, it, yes. we, we never really got that actual like good footing. And then I thought we did. And then we get laid off. Mm -hmm. And then there was the panic mode with Keith and Andy, which I'm sure they're kind of going through right now. Yeah. So another thing like that you guys don't get, and I've, I've co-hosted with Keith and Andy before. And I, so we all put together like show rundowns, right? which this is how I do it now. I do yeah. it by hand. It's a I love different, it. A little different. That, that's something that rubbed <laughs> off on you from Ross. Yeah. Um, but Keith's and Andy's is so much bigger. It is. Than any other show, like the production. So the young man who's doing it now with Tyler. Lucas. Lucas. Lucas, Lucas. Strain, yep. I don't know what Sean and Heather do. But I can guarantee you it is one twentieth yeah. of what Keith and Andy do. Yeah. And when it comes to production. It's, it's because they're TV guys and that's the way the TV world works, right? Yeah. And yeah. like in TV, you're scripted. 
um, even things on like on sound off, like a, a bunch of sound off is not scripted, but when they're doing like their commentaries or what's bugging Andy or whatever, they're reading off of a teleprompter. Mm -hmm. And so they, we've always scripted that radio show. Now we don't read it like a script because it's a radio show, but we have a four to six page rundown every day on that show. How many sound clips do you uh, pull per average? Uh, I would say a on average, at least 10 yeah. on heavy days, like Mondays after football games. Um, it's probably 10 per game plus yeah. whatever, you know, plus NFL stuff. And but you're not just pulling clips. You have to go and like look for them. You have to find them. You have to edit them. You have to make sure, you know, that and, and then Andy will send, you know, this this funny rant that he wants to play and you have to bleep that whole thing and, and edit it. Murph will send you like a seven minute thing and be like, hey, edit, edit it down to the interesting parts. So you had at least two hours of production work for that show per day. You're on the air yeah. for two hours. One of the first then, things all three of us did was just we we would have probably five emails a day before Murph would compile it all into a rundown and then send it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at least two hours of, of pre-production on that show. And then you're on the air for those two hours. So that's half of my day right there. Mm -hmm. But it, I mean, it, it's why that show sounded the way it does. Yeah. Uh, because well, you put the work into yeah, it, you put you put that much time into it. There's a reason Murph never has to tell me, hey, play this audio clip. I know exactly when he wants it. Played. Well, it was always impressive to me. Like I could be in there bothering you, which I often did before the show. <laughs> yeah. And like I'd be like mid sentence and you would just hear something out of the corner of your ear and hit a button. <laughs> I found I found very quickly that uh, I have this because I can't multitask in my life. Like if we're watching a movie and I get a text, I have to like pause the movie. Yeah. Otherwise, I completely lose what what's happening. But for whatever reason, when I'm sitting in that radio studio, I can have three things going on at once and be paying attention to all three of them. Um, it's just the way my my brain works. It's impressive, and I always admired your guys' show. And it was in a weird way what I always kind of wanted our show to be more of. Yeah. But Ross isn't wired like that. No, Ross is the exact opposite. Ross is at his best when you just yes. let him fly. Yep. And in, in a perfect world for him, you have nothing written down. Correct. And we never really had... We had, Jenks would do whatever we asked him to do. Right. And he was great. Yeah. But he didn't last for very long because nope. he, he needed to go get a big boy job. Exactly. Which I totally understand. He's got a great family now and uh, officiated their wedding. So yeah, another right. yeah, long-term friend from that place. But did he get laid off? He was already gone no, by yeah, then. He was, yeah. I think he was gone by then. Yeah. yeah. But no, but he did not. We never... Like, we would always... I always wanted that aspect where we had like a producer like you yeah and it's just so hard in that industry but it is not, and i mean you know it's it's because of keith and andy that i i would again like i said i would do that show for free i mean it was just so much fun and like mm -hmm. you felt so proud of that show and they could do so many different things i mean we could literally have like a very serious conversation about like racial tension in america and then three minutes later we're playing fart noises and crying laughing and that's just so rare. I mean, the the two of them, the chemistry they had already had yeah, they worked together for so long. And then to to have them welcome me into that and then me kind of find my way into that pretty quickly. And Keith just I mean, Keith better more than anybody in the world, Keith sets you up for success. He he finds a thing that you're good at. Yeah. And he just asks you to keep doing it and get better at it. And you do. And it's like, oh my God, he he was right. He found this thing. He's like Michael Jordan kicking it to Steve Kerr in the corner. Yeah, absolutely. And he's Murph is the guy who, if he wanted to, could just coast. I mean, at this point, he's yeah. he's solidified, right? He could come in and he could tell me, hey, put the show together every day and I'll come in and just talk. Yeah. He works harder than anybody. He does. I mean, he's he sends he still would send me emails probably twice a month of like, hey, I read this article about, you know, how to enhance social media or the these interview tips and things like that. Um, it's just it's wild the amount of work he puts into it. And then you see the results and it's like that. Oh, that's why he's so good. That's why they're so good. It's because they, they put that time into it. Did you, Charlie, your, your, your son is same age as my daughter. Yeah. Did you had the dad's not on the radio? Talk? Yeah, definitely with him for sure. Because that, that's been a big part of his, you know, just, he loved going into the studio for like what he thought. Cause the case, no studio kind of like this, right? Like we kind of built it into a fun thing and there was a, a little putting green and there was a Fisher price basketball hoop and stuff like that. So in his mind, I just went to work every day and played in that studio. Mm -hmm. And so he loves stuff like that. But yeah, I, I had to have that conversation with him on a couple levels because then 
he's to the age now where a couple of his friends knew who I was because their yeah. dads listened and stuff like that. Um, one of the best things that happened when we got fired, though, was up until that point, my entire identity was wrapped up in that job. Uh, I, I met my wife through radio. I, you know, my dad was so proud of me because of, he could hear me on the air yeah. every day and I was working with these guys and doing this thing. And, um, you know, my brothers thought I was cool and Charlie thought I had the coolest job in the world and all this stuff. And when we got let go, what I realized is, oh, none of that was the job. All of that still exists. Um, and so that really, I mean, kind of planted a seed in my head pretty quickly where it's like, oh, I don't need this to have Charlie think I'm cool mm-hmm. or to have my dad be proud of me or my wife to love me. Right. It's like, oh, that that's all out. Or, you know, even be friends with you and be able to talk to you, even mm-hmm. though we're not working together. Um, so that was a that was a big thing for me when we got let go was it was wild how quickly I moved on and was just content because I didn't grow up ever wanting to do anything like this. This was never even in the realm of possibility for me. And so I didn't have these goals where it's like, I want, like you, you hear hassle. Hassle is a great play by play guy. He's wanted to do that his entire life. He's put the work in, he's taken Mm -hmm. these steps. Right. And someday when he's calling national games on national TV, it's going to be because that was the goal he set out when he was eight years old or whatever and, and worked to get there. This was never even an option for me until I was all of a sudden doing it. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that like I got to cover an Iowa bowl game or, you know, just even being friends with guys like you and Keith and Andy and stuff like that was like it, it was more than I ever could have hoped it would be. So I can just walk away and be content with, hey, it is what it is. And if I never do anything like that again, I got to do it. I'm still going to take credit for you and Judy taking Absolutely. you to that NASCAR race. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. That was fun. You taught me how to watch NASCAR. We did. I had never been to a race. And, <laughs> you know, you just, you get so caught up in the sound and yeah. the smell yeah. and, you know, all of it for about 10 laps. And then I remember grabbing you and probably screaming into your ear because ah! of the noise. I was like, how, how do I watch this? Okay. Like now I've, I'm, I've yeah. settled down. But now I just see cars ride around a a circle. Like, how do I watch this? And you're like, okay, pick a car and just watch him. Yeah. Just watch him make the moves, watch the little battles in between the little cars. And I was like, oh, okay, this is this is That was it. That's all you and Judy needed to fall in love. Yep, that was it. cheered for Carl Edwards that day. Exactly. I did. I did. Well, I remember. He was the guy who I thought was going to win. So I was like, yeah, just watch that guy. Yeah, watch that guy. Root for him. (laughs) No, okay. So... But then, yeah, we had kids at the same time. I mean, we did. We've, you and I have been, I've always thought. Intertwined there. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we don't always like the same things, but I feel like we're very similar people. I would agree. And like, it's, they, that's manifested itself in different ways for each of us. But like the, at the core, we're very similar. I remember the first time uh, we hung out with our wives and we were walking out of the restaurant and my, we were at exile and my wife was like, oh, I get why. She's like, you could just talk to him all day, couldn't you? Oh, we could. And I was like, yeah, yeah. We absolutely could. <laughs> I thought... Because I'm not like that with everybody. I thought what our best work at KXNO was during the pandemic. Yeah. That's hard to do sports talk for three hours it a day. Is. And well, what we were doing, how many live out hours of I mean, radio. We're, we're doing between six and eight. I don't remember when Miller and Condon actually joined, but it was before that. So yeah, we were doing... With nine hours of live radio every day. I remember when we got our and little we kept doing it. public service badges or whatever mm-hmm. it was that we could be on the streets. <laughs> yeah, in case we got like pulled over or something. And yeah, there was I, like a, a I, block. I remember asking Joel, I said, I mean, are we going to get laid off again? Because yeah. I'm, I'm just doing the math and I'm watching all these restaurants closing right. and there's no bars open. And I'm like, how are you guys going to pay us? I'm not dumb. And I'm trying to save Cyclone Fanatic at the same time from going under. And he says to me, I'll never forget it. You guys are more important now than ever. You're the only thing that can bring revenue. If we don't have shows, yeah, there, there's nothing. And I, I thought that our station, not only at the time, we we kept the shows on, but I, we, I thought we tackled really important stuff. The racial stuff was no going doubt. on yep. at that we had, time. We were carrying the governor's press conferences live every yeah. day and talking about all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, the George Floyd stuff was all happening. And you're reaching people that probably wouldn't have been right. consuming that information had there not been a worldwide pandemic yeah, going on. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're right. The funny thing was what we learned was because people stopped going to work. And radio has always been a routine thing. 
And the reason you listen to the radio in the morning is because you're driving to work. And the reason you listen on the way home is because you're in your car and that's what's on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we thought when all that went away, we're not part of the routine anymore. People are going to stop listening. And what we found is we were the only thing that stayed the same for most people. Most people stopped going to their jobs. They were working from home. Their kids stopped going to school, but they could turn on the radio at whatever time. And we were still there and we were still talking and it, it gave them this sense of normalcy um, that you're right. I, I think we maybe never understood we had before that. And then, I mean, things like ask five Oh with Heather, mm-hmm. I mean, stuff like that during the George Floyd protests to have a, the face of the Des Moines police department on your radio show once a week and just answering questions. I mean, that was incredible radio. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we got, we got nominated for that Marconi because I put all of that into the, the nomination submission form was like, Hey, this is what we did. This is how we survived. This is how we thrived. I think it also helped that it was just so quickly after everybody had saved the station. And so people felt yeah. such an ownership in that station and in those shows that when everything else changed, they stayed with us. And it was, it was really something incredible. We did cool stuff too, like people going out and supporting local restaurants yeah. during yeah. that time. Absolutely. And- yeah. Miller and Condon did, they had restaurant radio and it was like, you didn't have to be an advertiser. You just call in and, hey, here's our carryout specials. This is how you take advantage of it. Just trying to keep people open, trying to help people out. And, yeah, that that you're right. You, the, the, the period of radio, that first year or so of the pandemic where it was really bad well, and everything really shut down. Shows, too, the versatility of the team that you guys built, though. Yeah. Because, you know, that morning show... They always get shit, but half the time it's not about sports anyways. No, so exactly. they can talk about anything. Oh man, uh, and- Murph, Andy, Scott, Sipker, and I all met for lunch like the day before everything shut down. You remember? Because it was, I mean, Iowa State played down at the Big 12. It's they like were like one the of the last, last games. games. Remember, Hoiberg was all sick. Yeah. We all um, thought he was going to like die. Yeah, it was crazy. And we all met for lunch that Wednesday for the sole purpose of what the hell are we going to do? How are we going to keep this show going without sports? And what we found is we had way too much to talk about, even without well, sports. Well, and then Tiger King came around. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. we had Tiger King. Ross and I did like two weeks on oh, Tiger yeah. King. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Would Tiger King have been that big had the no. pandemic not hit? No, that and like, I mean, the last dance would have been big, but not nearly what it yeah. was because we were all just watching the same thing. It was the only sense of community most people had anymore. All right. I want to move on to yeah. something else. I want to thank a couple of sponsors, Iowa Event Center. Uh, I will be at the WWE Monday Night Raw event on December the 18th. I think we're going to be doing a big promotion here. Nice. So we'll, we'll be giving you guys more information on that. I'm going which, to Adam Sandler was, next Monday. Uh, dude, that sounds awesome. Oh, I can't wait. I I've never wait. seen him do stand-up before. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I've never seen him live or anything like that. The only thing I saw was, so when I was growing up, we had like the album. He had like this album called They're All Gonna Laugh at You. And I was one of those where like my older brother had it, but I would sneak it away and listen. Um, And then he had that stand-up special a couple of years ago, but I'm I'm so jacked to see him. I love that he's coming to Des Moines. It's so cool. HyVTix.com if you want to get tickets to any of those. We're, of course, presented by our friends at Steeple Ridge Bourbon in the Channel Seed Studios. So one of the things that was always interesting about you, you're not shy about your political views. Right. And I knew that. I knew you. We, we've we done stuff together. Right? Yeah, I remember going yeah. to the Locust Tap with you when yeah. Obama was speaking. Yeah, we went yeah. to, it was, that, it was a 2012 Obama It was rally. the night before the election. That's right. Because he closed yes, it, it was out. The final, it was his final... With like uh, the Capitol in the back. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen was there. Yeah, it was because I remember Jay Z. It was like Jay Z and Bruce Springsteen were like going to every other event. Yeah, and we weren't sure if Jay Z was going to be oh. there or if it was Bruce. And we got Bruce, but it yeah, was okay. we we it was a tough break to get Bruce it was, that night, but it we was. had a great night. So you're 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 a liberal guy. Is that progressive? What do you, what word do you prefer? Yeah, I mean whatever you okay. can throw it at me. I don't progressive care. guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're you're spending a lot of time. With Simon Conway, yeah, uh, for a long time. Yep. Right, right, the thing about working still, in that Simon building, Simon and I are still good buddies. I yeah. mean, we talked every day. Crazy thing about working in that building, you don't ever know, like this time of year, who's going to walk by you. Right, right, right. Like, yeah. Oh, it's Sean Hannity. Yeah. Hey, uh, Chuck Grassley's right there. Right. 
Why is there Secret Service combing the halls? Oh, because the vice president's about to come. Do you remember when me and Ross had Marco Rubio on? It, and guys, it, it, was, it created became news. a big thing. <laughs> because he talked junk about Florida State. Yeah. Because he's a Florida guy. Yeah, he made... he. He made fun of Florida State's yeah. academics or something like that on our show. We had President Obama on Murph and Andy. I remember that. Yeah, it was incredible. I, I thought they were, I, I didn't believe them when they first called because they called me. And I, I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, yeah, we'll have them on, yeah. And then the next day, they, I got a call from the White House. And it was like, okay, this is actually happening. It was wild. So when you are ready for President Obama's interview. Yeah. Do you pick up the phone and he answers it? No. So what happens is, uh, so we had to have two lines connected at once. That way, if one dropped, he could just they would just hand him a different phone. And what happens is somebody comes on. And so like there's first the first person who will tell you, kind of lay it all out. Hey, this is how it's going to go. Somebody's going to come on the line and say, the next voice you hear will be the president of the United States. And then you wait for him to address you. And so I talked to this first person and then we're kind of waiting and then this other person comes on and says, the next voice you hear will be the president of the United States. And so at that point, I put put him on the air. And the first thing he said was, Murph, Andy, <laughs> how you guys doing? And it was it just like his his informality on in that moment yeah. just made it. It just eased all of because all of us. I mean, Murph yeah, and Andy don't record interviews. We don't pre-record anything. Yeah. If you can't do it from two to four, you were not doing it. Yeah. Um, or one to three now. But we, we were all in there at like noon to pre-record this thing because that's the only time you could do it and you get the president. Uh, and so, yeah, the tension just eased right away. And it was like, oh, my God. Like, it's still one of the more surreal things I've ever done is on the that's, phone with a president. We had a, <laughs> this is before Donald Trump's entire president. You remember we had Don Jr. and Eric on yeah, with us? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do remember that. Those well, guys were in the building a lot leading up to were, that 2016 were, election. Believe it or not, pretty cool guys yeah, to sit there sure. and talk to. For sure. Like I had, me and Don Jr. were boys there for a while. And at that point, I mean, at least to me, it all it all kind of felt like a joke. So it was like, ah, <laughs> we didn't think is, that no, that guy was going to be, be the president. No, yeah, of course not. So I guess my point is, you're this progressive guy, yeah. and you're you're a big part of the Simon Conway show. Yeah, yeah. How did you How did you do that? Because uh, it was a job, and it was a job that I loved, right? And yeah. like, so I did, and Steve Dace was harder because he's further right and far more religious, and it, it like really leans into some of, some of that stuff. Simon is is politically very conservative, but he's not as socially conservative. Yeah, and he's not as bombastic. He's not like in person. Right, like Dace will actually like offend you. He doesn't really turn it off. Whereas so Simon, the hardest part of that job was dealing with the phone calls because people love you as the producer. Because I mean, there are. There were probably 10 people who called me every day who never went on the air, didn't even want to go on the air, just wanted to talk to me for a split second. Um, and so it was harder to deal with those people on WHO than on KXNO because I know those people on WHO disagreed with me about everything. I wasn't very political on WHO. I didn't want to be the token liberal. Uh, and it was like guys like Dace and Simon are paid to argue against my points. Mm -hmm. So even if I felt strongly about something, I wouldn't really get in an argument with them because that's what they do. Yeah, and they the are decks, going to win the argument. The deck's kind of stacked against you. Absolutely. All the listeners now my, are anti. My wife will get, I mean, my wife goes on those shows as the, you know, when she was executive director of the Polk County Democrats, she would go on those shows and battle with those guys. And then afterwards, you know, we'd all talk and like, it was all always cool. She, she geared up for stuff like that. I never really wanted to, to be that on WHO. So for the most part, I was able to, and over there, you've got live news and live traffic and you're like, there's so much more happening technically yeah. when you're running one of the shows on WHO than it is on cakes. You know, Not a lot on, of time on, to get offended. No, you're on a very strict clock. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm keeping the, the station on the air. Um, but the, I mean, there were times, you know, my dad was a public educator his entire career. And Simon thought uh, public education was a waste of money and that those administrators are just fat cats who are stealing money. And I lived my whole life seeing my dad work his ass off for what I thought was a very important thing. So there were times and there were topics where I would get, you know, it was hard for me to sit in there and and deal with that. And that that made for long days. But for the most part, I was able to let it kind of roll off my back. And then it was, I mean, there was, I, I'm on, I have a cover of the New York Times where I don't remember which candidate it was, but he's sitting here and I'm writing behind, I'm right behind him on the board. 
Right. And so like things like that were so cool. Like you said, you never know who's going to walk in there. You never know who you're going to meet. And even if you don't agree with them politically, like a lot of those people are so charismatic. Like, a lot of them are putting on a they, show. They are, of course. Yeah. yeah. Right. They know why they're there. Um, but things like uh, Governor Branstead used to do a show every Tuesday from six to seven on WHO. And it was just ask the governor. And I would just watch this dude who was in his 70s at that point literally just take phone, random phone calls with no real screening. I mean, I would screen him out a little bit, but on any subject. And he would just sit there for an hour and take phone calls. And I respected that so much. I was so impressed by that. Yeah. That you're willing to just come here and do this and just open yourself up to I don't feel any like they criticism. do that. No, now. they don't. They don't. Yeah. It's it, which is too bad. We don't even see that. So the Dabo Sweeney thing happened last week. Yeah. Where he lost it on that guy. Yeah. And that guy was asking for it he was but like even like our sports figures don't do that anymore no no these, it's all these, controlled these are all controlled they want to by control the, as much of it as possible yeah and that's 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 kind of a problem it is just with society but that you in know general that's one of the cool things like with simon he and i just don't talk politics right we talk family we talk sports we talk life we talk everything else he's one of my best friends we just don't delve into that that's how i am with jack whipper yeah, absolutely. I get so much shit. I bet. From left-leaning people. Yeah, I've probably done it a few times myself. <laughs> and it's just it's just funny because Jack and I have done this show together for, what, 13 years now? And first of all, like, he's not talking about politics on the air. Right. But I understand, like, where his, his place in the government makes some people uneasy. I yeah. understand all this. But when me and him are together, we're never debating abortion. No, or exactly like we've never done it no. in our entire friendship. Cause and that's not how most people do anything. Right. Yeah. Most people don't ever have those conversations unless you're like really close to somebody. Yes. You know? And I, and, and, so I, I always res respected that that's cause that's, that is in 2023. That's a difficult thing for some people to it even, is. even fathom. It is. It is yeah, it was fired always, up as everybody else right. is all the time. And I think, you know, the biggest I laughed at Fred Hoiberg once when he said that social media will be the death of us all or something. That's not the quote he had, but it was something like that. He, he was talking about Matt Thomas. Yeah. Who, yes. Who, I remember laughing on the air. Who's Raptors jersey. There you go. Right there. Um, he, he was talking because Matt was spending too much time on social media. He's a true freshman and he struggled. True freshman starting in the big 12. And he just, he was a good player, but yeah, he wasn't. It wasn't what he became. Yeah, well, it took him a while, and Fred was talking about having to get Matt off of social media because people were just flaming him. Right. What, which is crazy to me that fans of a team, like you're a fan, would just choose to go on social media to flame an 18-year-old. <laughs> right. And, I mean, social media just distills us down to one thing, and that's the problem is none of us are one thing. So if you see a political tweet of mine, you think, oh, well, there's a, yeah. a commie liberal bastard who I hate. <laughs> But if you met me, you would. I wouldn't even bring that well, up. Well, Ross right? is a great, great. Yeah. Like you and Ross, if we put you two on a political spectrum, yeah, we're almost as far apart as you can get. You and me and Ross would be a great experiment because I'm pretty middle. Yeah, for I'm, sure, I am because I'll give yes. a take and people will be like, "Oh man, you're a huge communist," <laughs> and then they'll be like, "You stupid redneck," you know, you're right. you're a simpleton. And but like Ross is like a true like libertarian. You're very progressive and you guys are like brothers. Yeah. It, it's because that's not all all that we are, right? It's a good we way have to put so it. So much more in common than we do that separates us. But social media distills you down to the one thing. Well, that's what drives me nuts too. It's like what's kind of what's going on right now. And folks, and I I am not a political commentator. Right. I, I want to make it clear. But like if you would have in the last twenty years been like, oh, Israel. Yeah. You know, the right, it's like, oh, we love Israel. We yep. got to protect Israel now. And like, so now it's just Israel needs support. Yeah. Because of what's going on. And you have a Democratic president that's supporting Israel. Yes. And some Republicans are like pissed off about it. It's just <laughs> like my, yes. my biggest problem with politics in America, it's like, so much of it is, well, what is the other side doing? Mm -hmm. I have to do the opposite. Exactly. Yes. Instead of just acknowledging you're not, you're not, that we have stuff in common. Yeah, you're not for anything. You're against things. And that's a bad place I to be. I hate that. It's a bad place to be. I hate it. So 
The other thing we talk about a lot is is religion. We're really yeah. digging deep here. Man, it's a, probably a good thing we're not drinking Steeple Ridge. <laughs> We've talked about this for a long time, though. We, we, so it's fascinating. Yeah. I identify as Christian. Mm-hmm. You do not, right? Or, or do you? No, nah, probably not. No. Okay. Yet you probably go to church more than I do. I go to church just about every Sunday. So I've leaned away from it because of a lot of the stuff that we are talking about now yeah. where I, I go. And and by the way, our church is fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about the right. local, but I, I'll watch, you know, some of these very religious people mm. and I'm like, well, I don't want to be a part of that. No. Like, I don't want to be like, they're very uh, close minded. They make people feel bad about themselves. Right. They're doing the opposite of what the Bible says to do about inclusiveness and, yeah, absolutely. You know, all, all right. that stuff that I was taught in the church <laughs> right. growing up and I'll watch this stuff and it's like, well, that is not, that's not what I've been taught. Yeah. This is totally different than what I was sold right. as a kid when I, when I was told, when I was taught about faith and faith is believing in something that can't be proven, right? Right. That's why it's hard for a lot of scientists. Absolutely. Because they're like, my wife is a scientist. Some of my best friends are scientists and they are you have to be able to prove it through science to be able to yes. believe it's real. And then these same people will be believers that Jesus rose from the dead and you know, the whole story yeah, of the Bible you square those two things. And it, you can't because that's what faith is. Yes. So I, I have that faith, but I also, I'm very cognizant now of not wanting to be on the team of the religious yeah, guy on TV. Right. Who's just shaming everybody all right. the time. And I've always found it fascinating that you probably have considerably less faith absolutely than I do yeah but you go to church more than right I do. yeah it's it's an interesting thing because had you had said 10 years ago that I'd be going to church every Sunday I would, I would laugh at you and now that I go to church I volunteer at our church I do you know like we're, we are fully ingrained in our church we spent mm-hmm. Halloween night last Tuesday at an organ concert at our church where in a costume contest you know with our kids and stuff like that my kids go to Sunday school every week. Um, what I found is believing in God is a part of church, but it's not all of it. Yeah. And there are things during just about every service that I kind of roll my eyes. Yeah. I have to, you know, kind of take with a grain of salt. But what we found at our church is the sense of community that is, is kind of bizarre Special. because I grew up in Urbandale. My wife grew up in Des Moines. Like we have community. I have th- brothers who live here, right? My par- both of our yeah. parents live here. We both went to high school here. We both have worked here. We have good friends and and other groups. But what we found at church is, yeah, this this sense of community. Uh, I mean, as as little as it gives us a reason to get out of bed on a Sunday and get dressed and get out of the house, right? Like even something as simple as that makes it worthwhile to me. Um, the music at our church, I love, I, I could just sit there and get lost in the music. And like, I, I really love that about it. And again, and, and a lot of times the sermons or the lessons, I can find meaning in them, even if it's not meaning through God. Do you think there's a chance? So what I was always taught as well is that if you don't go to church, so I, I don't technically get there to worship, but I'm always listening to podcasts, yeah, reading books. See, and I, I I think about God almost ne- never. So I do a lot. Like right. I'm like, <laughs> then this is yeah, this is like the dichotomy that you and I have always talked about, where it's like you're this believer, yeah, who's like all in and doesn't go to church. I'm a non-believer and I go to church every Sunday because like I I was always taught that by going to church, it's it's filling your cup. Yeah. So like we all. We all have like, we've been described this in life, like your cup, you need to keep that cup full. Cause if you don't keep it full for yourself, how are you supposed to take care of your kids? Right. That's when you have a mental breakdown and, yep. that, and all hell breaks loose. But like, I, I fill my cup by listening to sermons or whatever on a podcast yeah. when I'm driving and it makes me feel better than to have to look across. And I know that that guy's actually a piece of shit. He's just <laughs> here putting on a show. Right. Like, and I know I'm wrong, by the way, I'm going to get tweets about this. Like I, I'm more, yeah, no, for sure. Is there a part of you though? that's yeah. like, okay, I keep going, listening to this stuff that, Hey, maybe, maybe I get into this someday or not really. Yeah. No, like I, I don't, I don't ever expect that to happen. Um, and that's, again, it's a weird thing because that is how most people feel sitting around me. But yeah, again, like part of it is just like the kids go to to Sunday school and I get to sit 
in a room next to my wife without dealing with kids for 45 minutes. And if I want to just sit there and zone out and close my eyes, I can do that. If I want to listen and try to engage and be a part of it, I can do that. So if Charlie comes to you and he's like, dad, I'm going to be a pastor. Then I'm, uh, I'm happy for him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I knew you know, that like, you would say that. We but... grew up, I grew up in a religious household. My parents are religious. My dad's probably listening to this cringing the whole time. Every time oh. I say I'm, I'm a non-believer because you know, like there's people who know me that are cringing just by me saying that I don't go to right. church all. No, I do go some. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not. And I always. Just, you all are getting to listen to conversations that Andrew and I have had. Yes. For, and we and I already talked to Andrew. He's going to be a regular guest here. Yeah, absolutely. On the podcast because we have so many more of these talks for sure. That yeah. We, and in fact, I need to start writing them down because a bunch of them are <laughs> coming to my head right now. But yeah, I, I've I've always found that fascinating. Yeah. It's, a, it's just you. an interesting thing that, you know, you can get different things out of these experiences and it doesn't all have to be the same. Um, and that, that, that's, that's why we do what we do. And that's, you know, it works for us at least well, right now. And I also hope too, that by people like us having these conversations, it can, I mean, I had a past, did you listen to the one where I had yeah, my pastor on yeah, like a year and a half ago? That was ago? really good. And God, I got, I, all the stuff that I've done, I don't know if I've ever gotten more feedback from that. Really? That. That's because there's so many people related to yeah, it. Yeah, it's so personal. It's and you such think a personal these thing. things, but but you don't hear. No, you don't talk about them. You really don't. So what's uh, next for you before we wrap this up? Is it still an I don't know? Like today? Um, <laughs> go pick up. It's, it's election day. I have to go vote. Go pick up my I kids. I got to do all this stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I don't. I, I legitimately don't know. And people don't believe that sometimes. Um, I don't know. I, what I, what I realized was I was, so I, I kind of came to this decision. You and I have talked about this for years. I've been thinking about yeah. stepping away for a long time and, and more recently it really kind of solidified for me. And I found myself one day, uh, looking at uh, like a job website while I was doing Murph and Andy and it just made me feel icky. I, understand. I just, I hated it. I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to be half here and half somewhere else. I don't want to just grab the next thing because I want to get out of here or anything like that. Um, so I was like, I, I, I need to close this out and make sure I do it the right way so I can be proud of what I did, maintain all these relationships, yeah. and and then step to the next thing. And I'm lucky, I'm privileged that I'm able to do that. A lot of people wouldn't be able to do this. Uh, the fact that I don't have a job right now, I mean, is it, it is scary. But it's also exciting, like we talked about, you know, those the 36 hours where we got laid off, um, it opened up a whole world of possibilities. I was 25 when I started in radio. And again, I mm -hmm. never planned to do that. And so who knows what else is out there for me? Who knows what else I could be good at or fall in love with? Uh, and I'm only 41. I could have an entire, I, I had a 15 year radio career and it feels like I did everything I ever wanted to do there. So I think about that and it's like, man, I could do something else for 15 years and feel this way about that career. And I'm only 55. I could do that again. Right. Like there, there's an excitement to that. You have where, such a great outlook. Cause I'm the opposite. I'm like, I'm 40. I'm like, Oh, it's all behind me. <laughs> nah, man. It's all over now. We got a lot of time left, right? There's, there's a lot yet to do. And so that's the kind of exciting thing. Um, now it is kind of scary, you know, that I don't know what I'm going to do. I have a bunch of meetings, a bunch of conversations. There's things I'd like to do. Um, things I don't want to do. Right. And I'll just, I'll probably have to figure some things out. And, you know, it's, I hadn't thought of this until literally just this moment, but it kind of feels like an Iowa football fan going into what's probably going to be a few years of more transition and more change than you've been used to for 40 years. Mm -hmm. Because most likely when Kirk Ferentz hangs it up in a couple of years, um, that coach isn't going to stay there for 25 years, right? No. That coach more, more likely than not will probably get fired after three years because he didn't do the job well. And then you're going to hire another coach and then he's probably going to get fired or go to another job. And so there's, yeah, a really, there's a really good chance, right? In the next 15 years, there will be more Iowa football coaches than there have been in the last 40. Right. And so that, there's a part of me that's like, I'd never wanted to like jump around from job to job. That's always been a little scary to me. But I do think there's a chance that in the next 10 years, I have more jobs than I've had in the last 15 a, because, you know, you find different things. It's a generational thing, too. Yeah. Because we grew up and our parents didn't change jobs. No. Just you have one job or yep. two jobs. and Exactly. Unless you're pretty white collar and you're moving from city to city. Right. 
Like my parents each only had one job yeah. my entire life. And my that, dad had a handful of what jobs, but they were all kind of in the same area and in the same, I mean, you know, the, it, it didn't ch- cause a lot of change for our family. Um, yeah. And education though, it's like, you're yeah, still, it's still, it. yeah. Um, so it's yeah, not really so switching jobs. It's just moving around to where you're needed. Cause in my head, it's like, okay, now I need to find the next thing that I'm going to do for the next 15 years. But it's like, that's probably not how this is all no. going to go down. And so there is a part of me that, it's like entering a whole new a whole new world here. Well, this was great, and and I mean it. We got to do it again. Yeah, man. We've always talked about doing a show. We have that it just <laughs> goes away because back. again, we could just sit and talk, and it probably won't be over very, very very much about sports. No, we still got to do the. We had an idea when I first started at KXNO where you're gonna have me watch these movies. Yes, we should probably do that. We should do that. Yeah, that's a good idea. We should probably that's a good do idea. That. We write a movie podcast. Come on where, and break it down. Yeah, because you've never seen like and the most iconic movies ever made. I still haven't. Right, and that's perfect. And I don't. Like, I don't know. Last week, Cammy and I watched all four Ghostbusters movies. Okay, <laughs> and that was the most movies I've watched in a year, two years. Had you seen? Like, had you at least seen like the original Ghostbusters? I had seen the first two. I was a Ghostbusters kid growing yeah. up. I hadn't seen these newer ones, you know, and they're the third, the fourth one was phenomenal, by the way. I haven't seen that yet. I oh, you should see that. Totally watch yeah. that because it ties everything together. But like, I just like for me to like sit down and be like, ah, I'm going to watch the Godfather right. tonight. Like, and see, mm. I think that'd be so interesting because it's hard for me to separate a lot of those movies from like what they've meant to me in my life yeah. or like when I first saw them. We did this a little bit with yeah. Shawshank. Yeah, exactly. And it pissed everybody off, yeah. my opinions, because you guys are like, oh, it's the greatest. No, and you come in as a you know 40-year-old guy <laughs> in 2023 watching a movie that I've watched a hundred times <laughs> and it like it means something completely different. It like it's not even really a movie to me anymore, right? It's like this this cultural experience and this like uh this reminiscent thing. And for you, it's just a movie that you're trying yeah. to, and all you've ever heard was how great it is. And it's like, ah, it's not going to live up to It's a good movie. Yeah, sure. It was, it was nice. I'll never watch it again. No. But then I'll watch Top Gun yeah. for the hundredth time <laughs> or Pure Country. I love Pure Country. Oh, man. The best soundtrack of all time, too. I think so. All right. Well, take that bottle of Steve Thank Origino. you, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me, too. And like all the kind words over the last few weeks, man. Like, really, you... You, as much as anybody, were out there kind of, you know, championing me and, and well, everything, I just, and I appreciate it so much. I think much. it's important to know, like, that you were more than Keith and Andy's board operator. Yeah. Because you you weren't. You produced the show. But then, like, there, I even, like, it was funny. I was talking to John Walters about this last night. Like, technology's changed everything. We're... The post-game show for Iowa State football, we used to have to come into KXNO yeah. to do. Yeah. Way back in the day, I would have to leave in the third quarter right. to get down there, right? Because we couldn't even do it from the press box. And we were talking about that game on Saturday, which kicks off at 9.15. And Jeez. I said to John, I go, God, I'm just really glad I don't have to go into KXNO anymore. Right. You used to have to come in and get us yeah. on the air. I would, like, leave. I'd be watching the Hawkeye game or whatever. Yeah. And you come in and press like four buttons. Yeah, and, exactly. All right, you're yeah, good. Driving, yeah. But you didn't even have anyone to do that for you. No, no, there was. And it, and it's that part of it has gotten worse and, and harder over the last few years. Uh, you know, as I mean, we're like a, a third of the staff that, that they were five years ago. Um, and then the actual leaving of the house has become so much more difficult with kids. Yeah, and, I get you it. Know, all of that. So did so the day I left KXNO, when I walked out, I bawled like a baby. Yeah. I think I'm probably a little more emotional than you. Yeah. But I bawled. It was like uncontrollably because there was a big part of me that didn't want to quit. Right. Like, oh, same. Yeah. There was you, a, don't, you don't want to leave yeah. a job like that. There was a huge part of me yeah. that did not want to walk out the door. Agreed. Probably more than the one that did, but I was going with my... Yeah. I yeah. had to do it for my kids. Yes. Because of my wife's hours, mm-hmm. and I, I just had to do it, and... The good news is it's made all the difference in the world yeah, family wise for absolutely. us. Absolutely. Because I I we're gonna get done with this. I pick up my kids, I take them to choir, I take them to karate, I do everything. That's like awesome. That, which is what I wanted. Yes. But then you're leaving you feel like you explained earlier, you're leaving a part of you yeah, behind. For sure. And there's like I there has to be a little bit of a pain when you turn on and oh Murph and Andy are still on the air and I'm not there. Definitely. And that that's the thing, you know, I've said this a couple of times over the last few weeks when I've been on so many different shows where um People might think I'm being overly humble and they they will not believe me when I say 
three months from now, for the most part, most people won't, they'll remember that I was there and, and remember what I did and all that stuff, but they Absolutely. won't miss me on a daily basis because everything just goes on. You're right. Yeah. Yesterday, Murph and Andy were on the air breaking down the Hawkeye and Cyclone games and they're going to do it the next four days. Um, and yeah, so yeah, there's, there's a part of me that I will always miss being a part of that behind the scenes. Cause that was my favorite part of it. Um, and it, it was definitely emotional for me. I, I got out without crying. Oh, I was Sean Roberts promised me he would get a tear and I told him he wouldn't. Uh, I will say the very end of the Murph and Andy show, I'd, I'd written out a whole like kind of thank you list. And at one point when I'm doing it, I looked up and when we did the transition, Heather and Sean are in studio and then Keith and Andy are there yeah. also. Yeah. And I looked up and they're all looking at me and I locked eyes with Murph. Uh, and it was, I, I, as soon as I did that, I looked back down and I was like, nope, can't look up again or I'm going, I'm going to lose it. And if you hear that show, like my voice is shaky, I'm yeah, definitely, I'm definitely breaking. Uh, but I, I didn't cry. I was proud of myself for that. Good for um, you. I just, but, but it was, you know, yeah, it was very emotional. I, I will always miss, I will always miss cakes. You know, I will always miss that show. Um, and you know, who knows what happens down the line. You never say never that, you know. The three of us had a chemistry that you just can't. Yeah, you can't manufacture that. It just, it just happened. Either it happens or it doesn't. Yeah, and no. I mean they've had you know produce different producers on TV and all this stuff. And I mean as you know you had how many producers at radio? Lost count. Um, and so when it clicks the way it did with the three of us, you know you hold on to that as long as you can. Um, and who knows if we'll find a way back to each other again at some point. Well, you got a lot to be proud of. Thank you. He is Andrew Downs. We appreciate it. Uh, him coming in here in the Channel Seed Studios. This is awesome, by the way. Hang out. We'll get a Hawkeye thing for you at some point. Sure you will. Bohannon's getting us a jersey. Oh, nice. Yeah. Bohannon's getting us a jersey, and then I'm trying to get my hands on a Chris Street jersey. And somewhere I have in my parents' basement somewhere old, like, Cedric Shaw, Tim Dwight with the wings. Yeah. That'd be cool. I feel like that'd be... because. And that guy gave me that Petrus jersey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Autograph Spencer Petrus jersey. <laughs> that will amazing. be getting framed and be up here as well. So you'll feel a little more welcome. Next I appreciate time. that. He's Andrew Downs. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Thanks to Steeple Ridge Bourbon for sponsoring CW Pod. We'll be back next week. Iowa everywhere.